Hey, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have a really interesting episode for you that your mind's really going to like a lot. So how do you deal with that voice inside your head? You know, the mental chatter, the thought loops, the, the conversations you have in your head that don't always take you to great places. Well, my guest today, Ethan Cross, is going to break down what that inner voice is in your head and how it serves you, how to leverage it. He gives you a bunch of tools for how to redirect it when that mental chatter is not taking you to a good place. So Dr. Ethan Cross is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. He's an award-winning professor at the University of Michigan and the Ross School of Business. He is the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Lab. Doesn't that sound cool? I asked him about that in the episode. He has participated in policy discussions at the White House and has been featured on many news outlets, everything from Good Morning America to NPR. He's also the best-selling author of a new book called Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor. You know them, you love them, Organifi. Get all of your superfood yumminess from Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. Dot com slash over it and get 20% off. Enjoy their green juice, their red juice. I love their gold. It's their turmeric latte mix. Um, it's so delicious. They have so many other great products. Their immunity products are great. Their collagen products, all kinds of good stuff. And you know, you can trust the source and you know, you're getting good, good ingredients and good nutrition. And it's really, really easy to use. I think their green juice, the powder green juice is one of the best tasting green juices on the market. I really love the red juice as well. I really notice a shift in my energy when I use it. So get your 20% off on any order, not just your first. Go to Organifi.com slash over it. And now on to my conversation with Ethan Cross. Ethan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Christina. It's a delight. Thank you for the invitation. Well, you're fascinating. I'm so excited to get into this conversation. There's, I wanted to start with something that jumped out in your bio to me, that you're the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory. Can you please explain what that is? Because that sounds like a lab I want to spend some time in. Yeah, well, you should come and hang out with us. It's a great lab to spend time in. What we essentially do there is we're really interested in understanding how how the mind works in a particular context. Specifically, we want to know how can people align their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors with their goals. So let's say you want to think, feel, or behave a particular way. What are the, the psychological levers that allow you to do that? And so we do a lot of research to try to uncover those mind mechanics, if you will. And so that's a big part of what we do in the lab. And then when we discover something about how the mind works in this way, so when we learn something that we think has value for helping people align their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors with their goals, then we start to figure out how can we take that knowledge and and get it out of the lab and into the world where people can hopefully benefit from it. Uh, And that that keeps us really busy, those two goals. So what kind of experiments, for lack of a better word, do you do there? Well, we do everything from brain scanning studies to uh, experiments with little kids to text messaging people throughout the day and asking them about how they're feeling and what they're doing to try to see how they can manage their emotions as they live their lives. We just started a, a huge study with thousands of high school students in Georgia where we're, uh, we've created a curriculum that teaches them about the science behind how to manage your mind. And we're going to be looking at how mm. 
exposure to that information impacts their their achievement, relationships, well-being. So we, we do lots of different research types of, of things from brain scanning to behavioral studies. And we do different kinds of, of studies because different methods are relevant depending on the kinds of questions we have. Mm, I, I love it. I, I seriously, I might want to get a job at that lab. That sounds like right up my alley and studying all those different things. So thank you for doing that work. And I, one of the things that you're an expert on is the voice inside our head. And when you say the voice, my first thought is I just have one. I feel like I have so many voices inside my head. There's a whole new voice I've discovered in pregnancy and stepping into parenthood. So what what is this voice in our head? Well, I think you should, why don't you tell me more about these multiple voices? <laughs> um, yeah, so I study, one of the things we study in the lab um, is this voice in our head. And, you know, it's interesting because our culture, when we talk about hearing voices, I think a lot of people automatically think about people who struggle with various kinds of, of psychological disorders, when in fact, the inner voice is a basic feature of the human mind. And it's an invaluable feature that you wouldn't want to live your life without. And so I, I like to start by just breaking down what I mean and what scientists mean when we use this phrase. When I use this phrase, this inner voice or hearing a voice in our head, uh, what I'm talking about is our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a remarkable tool. This inner voice lets you uh, keep small bits of information active in your head. Like when you, you go to the grocery store and you remind yourself what's on your grocery list. Like we often repeat that in our head, eggs, milk, cheese. We don't say that out loud. We do it silently. I, I think most of us probably don't do it out loud. We use this in our voice to, to simulate and plan like before an interview or a date or a presentation. People will often go over what they're going to say. I do this all the time. I go for walks around my neighborhood when it's not a blizzard like it is right now. <laughs> and if I've got a big presentation coming up, I will go through what I'm going to say word for word. Mm-hmm. When I get to the end of that presentation, I'll actually imagine what an obnoxious audience member, what question are they going to ask me? And then I'll respond. So I'm simulating and planning. And I'm using my inner voice to help me do that. I use my inner voice when I'm exercising, you know, seven more sets. This is terrible, but you can do it. I'm doing all of that silently to coach myself along. And then finally, we use this inner voice to help make sense of our lives. You know, we experience adversity. And when that happens, we we focus inward to try to understand, hey, why did this person reject me? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, why did they say that? Why did I do that? And we use this voice to come up to create stories that really give shape to our understanding of who we are. So that's your inner voice in a nutshell. Let's you do lots of basic things. It can take many forms. So if I were to ask you or listeners to like just in their head, imagine, um, imagine hearing your mom tell you to make your bed. Could you do that right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So yeah. so we could hear different voices too. One one important distinguishing feature between healthy and, and less healthy voice hearing is if you if you know, I I can very easily hear my dad telling me to, you know, go for a walk right now. I know I can hear that I'm representing his voice in my mind, but I know that I'm generating that voice. I don't think that my dad is in literally in my head pulling the strings. That's one difference between healthy and unhealthy voice hearing. And when, when I said like I, there's multiple voices in my head, what I meant by that is 
Like I can definitely distinguish there's a voice of my inner critic. And then uh-huh. I can also hear like there's voice, I have voice of, you know, a compassionate voice when I'm going through something or I'm trying to calm myself down. And then there's another part of me that's like the list maker that's I need to do this and this and this and this. I feel like there's another part that's more like the dreamer and the visionary when I'm being creative. So how do we distinguish the voice you're talking about from maybe these these other parts that seem to have other functions? Well, I, it's a great observation. You know, we can we can talk about this voice as in a certain sense as how we talk to ourselves and and what kinds of conversations can we do we have with ourselves and in the same way that we can talk to other people in lots of different ways we can try to lift someone up or or tear them down we can yell we can try to be soothing and supportive we can talk to ourselves in the same way in the same you know in various different ways and a understanding that that happens, I think is really important. And then B, recognizing that we have some agency over how we talk to ourselves, I think is critical because one of the things we know about about this inner voice is when it morphs into what I call chatter, which is really this dark side of the inner voice, right? Chatter is getting stuck in a mm-hmm. negative thought loop when you're disparaging yourself. You know, the inner critic is on the, you suck. How'd you do this? Oh my mm-hmm. God. Or when you're anxious or or sad and oh my God, what if this happens? And Or angry. It really doesn't matter what negative emotion is targeted. The idea behind chatter is you, you get stuck in this negative verbal thought loop where you keep on saying the self the same harmful things to yourself over and over again. And one of the things we know is that you don't have to be a victim of that state. You can change the way you talk to yourself. One of my favorite examples of this is some research which looked at how people deal with really stressful social events. One of the things we know that happens when you put a person in a situation involving social stress is people ask themselves two kinds of questions. What do I have to do? And do I have the resources to manage this situation? We often ask ourselves those questions um, outside of awareness, subconsciously. But how you answer them can make all the difference. So let's say I've got, uh, I'm interviewing for a big job. And I think, okay, well, what what do I have to do on this interview? And can I do it? If I conclude, nope, not going to be able to do that. That elicits what we call a threat state. And it's filled with this kind of self-disparaging negative response, right? Oh my God, there's no way I'm going to be able to manage a situation that leads us to feel bad, to perform worse, and, and physiologically leads to some problems. But you can also you can also answer those same two questions by saying, yeah, I can do this. And we call that a challenge response. And it's associated with feeling better, performing better, and so forth. Now, you have ownership. You have the ability to switch how you talk to yourself in those kinds of situations. There are times when I will initially slide into threat mode. Oh my God, how am I possibly going to manage this? And then I said, all right, Ethan, you can deal with this situation. And that small shift in how we talk to ourselves can make a difference in how we mm-hmm. feel, how we behave. Have you experienced that yourself when you have these different voices floating around? Oh, massively. I mean, I've, I've learned how to make peace with my inner critic because I know – the highest purpose of that voice is to try to protect me and to try to, you know, help me get things done. I know it's, there's really no part of me that's trying to take me down. (laughs) And I'm aware of that. When I hear it, I'll, I'll sometimes just gently say stop and I'll shift my thoughts 
not, not necessarily shift my thoughts, but shift how I'm talking to myself and just say, okay, I don't need to talk to myself that way. I can still get this done or I can still learn from this or I can still, you know, coach myself through something without having to be so hard on myself. So it's just about taming that, that voice and not letting it spiral out. And I think what you're saying about being the observer of the voice is the most important part is going, okay, there's a part of me that's talking to myself this way. And then there's a part of me that can observe this voice. And I feel like the observer part is the part where I gain control and I can shift the voice. Yeah. And so I think, you know, step one is, 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 is just understanding what this voice is all about. I can't tell you how many people I speak to from kids to parents, to executives and everyone in between who don't really understand what this voice actually is. Like, do other people talk to themselves all the time? Does it always take the same shape, the conversation? Does it have the same flavor? Why do I do this? So I think step one is just understanding that if you talk to yourself at times, uh, you know, congratulations, welcome to the human condition. And that's true if you say things to yourself that aren't very flattering as well. But then being able to recognize when your self-talk is slipping into a harmful um, direction, that's really important, as is having the tools to to change those conversations that you're having with yourself. Just to get practical here, one useful tool is when you find yourself going down this rabbit hole of negative self-talk and chatter, try to talk to yourself like you give advice to another person. It, it is really remarkable at how good we are at coaching other people, giving them sound advice. But when it comes to our own lives, we often have a lot <laughs> of trouble giving ourselves good advice. We've actually, uh, we've done experiments on this in my lab and there's a name that we've given to this phenomenon. We call it Solomon's paradox. And it's named after the Bible's King Solomon, who was famous for being this wise leader, being able to like solve really difficult problems for other people. But when it came to his own life, he crumbled. And I, I like to, to, bring that little finding up because one of the tools that we find that is really helpful for allowing people to change your self-talk for the better is to get them to relate to themselves like they were relating to someone else they care about. And there's a, there's a little tool of language that you can use to help you do it. And it, what it involves doing is use your own name and the second person pronoun you to coach yourself through a situation. So you might sigh and you want to do this silently, not out loud while walking down a city street. But, you know, if I'm struggling with some chatter, I might think there's all right, Ethan, here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to manage a situation. What I'm doing there is I'm using words, names, second person pronouns. These are words that we typically exclusively use when we think about and refer to others. So this is like the language of other people. And when you use those words to, to coach yourself through a problem, it switches your perspective, making it much easier to, to be your coach rather than your critic. Mm, I love that. I love that. How can we use the knowledge of this to be better in our relationships? Knowing that like our partner may have an inner voice too. Cause I know with my husband, I know there's kind of what he's saying. <laughs> and then I also know he has an inner voice that is impacting what he's saying or how he's hearing me. So how can we use this knowledge of, of this inner voice to understand other people better. It doesn't necessarily have to be our partner. Yeah, it's a great, great, great question. And there are really two sides of it. Because on the one hand, we know that when we're struggling with our inner voice, when it morphs into chatter, 
that can actually create friction in our relationships with other people. You know, one of the problems there is when we're experiencing chatter, we're often highly motivated to share it with other people. And there are a variety of reasons for that, but you know, we typically want to do it to get some help. One problem is we find people to talk to and then we keep talking about the chatter over and over and over again. And that can have the unfortunate consequences of pushing away other people mm. who, who genuinely care about us and want to help us, but there's only so much they can take. So I think it, it's useful to be mindful of that. And now the solution doesn't mean you should not talk to other people about your chatter. The, the solution to that conundrum is to find people to talk to about your chatter who are really good at helping you manage it effectively. And what I mean by that is this. A lot of people, when they're struggling, they just look for anyone to talk to, anyone who will take the time to listen. But not everyone is a good chatter advisor to others. So lots of people think that the way to help someone else with their chatter is to just give them a sounding board to let it out, to just get them to vent and express their emotions. There's been a lot of research on venting and emotional expression over the years. And what we've learned is that venting can be really good for strengthening the friendship bonds between two people. So it feels good to know that there are people out there willing to take the time to empathically connect with me and just listen to what I went through. So that's good. The problem is that if all you do is vent about your problems in a conversation, you will often leave that conversation just as upset, if not more upset than when you started. Mm. Right? Venting leads to what we call this to other people, this process of co-rumination where we're, we're like ruminating about something together. So we feel like we're in this together. That's nice. But we haven't dealt with the problem at hand. Now, the best kinds of conversations with other people when it comes to chatter are conversations that do two things. First, the, the person you're talking to, they do take some time to, to listen and hear you out and let you express. That is important. It's important to do that to a certain extent. But at a certain point in the conversation, that person you're speaking to ideally cues you to broaden your perspective. So how have you dealt with experiences like this in the past? You, you must have had something like this happen. Or here's how I've dealt with this situation. Or, or you know what? big picture, a year from now, you're not going to worry about this. Like those are all different ways to try to break people out of the tunnel vision that characterizes getting stuck in chatter. Now, there, there is an art to doing this well. And I'm going to use my, my wife as an example here. I'm just going to check. She's not within earshot. So I <laughs> do that right now. What I mean by the artistry involved in, in, in being effectively a good chatter advisor or chatter coach to others is, is this. Depending on the person and what they're going through, they may need different amounts of time just, just expressing their feelings before they're ready to shift into having their perspective be broadened by you. And so when my wife comes to me with, with some chatter she's experiencing, I will, I, will, I will listen. I will engage empathically and genuinely. And at a certain point, when I, I detect I have an opening, I might say, totally get it. I, and I have a thought. Can I, can I offer you some, uh, you know, my, my, my feeling on this or an alternative way to think about this? And sometimes I'll, I'll say that and she'll just look at me and say, no. I'm not done. Just keep listening. And then I just, I keep listening and mm -hmm. I try, I try this again a little bit later. At other points, I'll pose the same question to her. Okay. You know, can I offer you, you know, a piece of advice or something like that? 
and she'll say, please, that's why I've come to you. <laughs> you know, that's what I want. Please tell me what, what do you think? So you just want to feel that out. And some people are really, really good at it. And so I like to tell people, I think this science is really valuable because it allows you to be deliberate mm-hmm. with who you talk to about your chatter. Think hard about who in your life is really skilled at not just listening, but also advising. Those are the people to consult with. Mm. So I know you've said it and described it in different ways, but can you just define how you define chatter? So people really grasp like what is chatter? So they're aware of what it is in their head. Yeah, happy to. So when we experience adversity in life, we often turn our attention inward to try to make sense of that problem, to try to come up with a solution, but we don't end up coming up with a, a clear cut path forward. Instead, we ruminate, we worry, we catastrophize, we get stuck in these negative thought loops. Chatter is a term I use to describe getting stuck in a negative thought mm. loop. Working mm. really hard to solve a problem, but you're not making any progress. And the harder you work, the deeper you dig yourself into that hole, making yourself feel worse. Mm. That's what chatter is. And I think it's one of the big problems we we face as as a species because it it makes it really hard for us to think and perform. It creates friction in our relationships with others, as we just discussed, and it can also damage our physical health. How can it damage our physical health? Well, a lot of people have have probably heard that this idea that stress kills, that's not exactly true. The ability to experience stress is, is a really useful response that we have evolved to possess. If you see something threatening in your environment, having a system that quickly allows you to approach or avoid that stressor, super, super useful. You would not want to live life without that stress response system. What makes stress truly toxic is when our stress response is activated and then remains chronically activated over time. And that is exactly what chatter does because we experience some stressor in the world, but we don't just leave it behind. We keep on replaying it in our head as we try to work through the problem. And and that keeps that whole stress response active over time, which in turn predicts things like problems of cardiovascular disease, inflammation, and even certain forms of cancer. Mm, yeah, and I, I totally believe that. And that's one thing I've learned in pregnancy too, in my research, is that the goal isn't to never get stressed. I would I would be too stressed out to try to never get stressed because it's life, but it's more about how I respond to it, how I manage it in my system, not having perpetual stress all the time, but to try to avoid it completely because I don't want to expose her to any of it is kind of unrealistic. And what I learned in my research, and I'd love you to dig in more to this, is is it actually is, is good for her for me to experience some stress as long as I come manage it in a healthy way. Yeah, so I, I'm so glad you brought you brought this up. You know, the first point in here is that I think is so relevant is I think we often popular culture is sometimes giving people these unattainable and, and and borderline unhealthy goals. Like these goals we have to rid ourselves of all negative emotion and all stress. You don't want to do that because our ability to experience stress, anger, anxiety, depression, you name the negative response. These are functional in small doses. They serve us well. If I don't experience a little ping of anxiety before a presentation, I don't prepare for it. If I don't prepare for it, I don't do a good job. Uh, I think I mentioned to you before, I have two kids. And I remember when one of them was very young, we were down south and they were playing on a pier. And, you know, they, they started venturing really close to the edge of that pier. And 
instantly I was overcome with this anxiety response that propelled me to grab the the kid before she went overboard. Like that's a really useful response. You don't want to not live without that ability to experience negativity in small doses. What makes all of those emotions harmful is when they morph into chatter, when they become prolonged. And so so that's really the the territory that we're living in right now. And and you know the the good news is that there are lots and lots of science-based tools that exist to help us rein in those negative emotions run wild. And a lot of them are really simple things to do, like, you know, giving yourself advice like you would someone else, use your name to do it. There's a lot of like complex science that went into that discovery. But the take home for people who are trying to manage or chatter, really, really easy to implement that tool. Another one that that I use a lot myself uh, is something that we call temporal distancing or mental time travel. When I wake up at 2 a.m. and my eyes are like wide open, like, oh, my God, what did I do in that last email? You know, <laughs> has that ever happened to you? Oh, I never wake up at 2 a.m. with thoughts like that. Are you kidding? Never. You can't predict when it's going to happen. For me, it's four to six weeks, at least once. It is coupled usually by an elbow from my wife from tussling too much in the bed. But like, what do I do when that happens? I have a script. I I have a plan and it's a science-based plan. The first thing I do, I say say to myself, use it, Ethan, you're going to feel better about this in the morning. Uh, if that doesn't take the edge off, it's you're going to feel better about this next week. And when I say that to myself, it, it really does help take the edge off because I, I recognize from past experience that I know that two in the morning when my brain is effectively sleeping, uh, I don't have all the resources to think about this issue I'm now catastrophizing about uh, productively. But the next morning, I will have all those resources. And and usually, I've yet to be in a situation that I haven't got myself out of that bind, right? Most of the things that we struggle with, they do fade with time. And so just transporting yourself in time in your mind reminds us of that. That gives us hope, which can be so powerful for dealing with an inner critic or chatter. And so again, that's just like one thing out of over two dozen things people can do really, really simple to help manage these states. What are some other simple things people can do? So I like to divide this world of, of chatter tools into three domains, things you could do on your own. And I just gave you a couple examples of those, um, you know, coach yourself using your name, mental time travel, then there's people tools. So, and we talked a little bit about that. So find your chatter advisors and and seek those people out, not the folks who just get you to ruminate and vent. And then there are environmental tools, um, tools that exist in the physical world around us. So we haven't talked about that. So let me tell you about a few of those. I think they're so interesting. And and I'll share I'll share something about myself, which may not be so flattering <laughs> to, to introduce <laughs> one of those tools. I I am not what I would describe as a, a particularly organized person in the sense of like there's usually a trail of clothing from the shower to the closet to my office downstairs. There's usually like piles of books in my office. I'm, I'm perfectly clean and I like to think of myself as an organized thinker, but but you know, stuff has always been scattered my whole life. Mm. When I experience chatter, I always do something very out of character. I, I go around my my office and I start putting stuff away and, and then I can't get enough of it, right? The organizing. And I go into like 
my kids' room and I start like making sure their animals on their beds are perfectly aligned and so forth and so on. Turns out that many people do this when they're experiencing stress um, or in the form of chatter. Is this ring true to you at all, by the way? Oh, sure. I definitely don't leave clothes laying around. I'm a Virgo. I, I, when my husband leaves his clothes on the floor, it's like sirens go off in my head. But I have found that when that chatter is really strong, doing something that's busy, doing something that's tactical, that's, that's, that occupies my mind does really help. Well, so, so here's, here's how this works. That sounds like you and my wife would get along just well. Maybe, <laughs> maybe your husband and I should, should hang out. <laughs> so when you're experiencing chatter, you often feel like you don't have control mm-hmm. over the situation. Your thoughts and feelings are running wild. They've got the reins and you're just along for the ride. And we don't like that because human beings, we love control and order and What organizing your space does is it allows us to compensate for not feeling in control of our mind. We're compensating for that feeling by exerting control and order around us. And and so in small doses, that can be a really helpful helpful tool. The added bonus is it actually also – um, contributes to, to, to marital satisfaction because, you know, my wife is much happier with me in the, um, the situation in the home, in the house. Um, I like to joke though. I think it's, there's a grain of truth here that sometimes I think she, she would like me to have like a, a chronic low level of chatter because things always look so neat. Um, <laughs> So, and actually closely related to that too. So that's one thing to organize and, 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 you know, clean up, don't take it to an extreme. You don't want it to go overboard, but in a, in, in the right dosage, that can be helpful rituals. This is something you can do on your own. That's related to organizing and cleaning up rituals are this ancient chatter fighting tool that our culture often gives us. If you look around the world throughout history, our culture gives us these things to do when we're struggling with chatter. So think about when we lose someone we love, death of a loved one, there are all sorts of grieving rituals that are prescribed to us. And what you do, like what happens in a ritual doesn't really matter. The idea is you are, you're engaging in a rigid sequence of behaviors that are infused with meaning. So, you know, you, I, I've got a Saturday morning ritual I do. I, I wake up, I exercise, go to the farmer's market, cook the same thing for my kids for breakfast, and we eat together. Like farmer's market and working out don't necessarily go together, nor does the thing I cook, but all that's wrapped together in this, in this like sense of meaning and purpose that I have with my family. Mm. Engaging in that activity, that also has a sense of order, there's something that it's all under my control that that can make make the chatter better. So those are a couple of tools. Another another environmental tool that I just want to get out there is involves enhancing your exposure to green spaces. You know, I think a lot of people have the intuition that going for a walk can make them feel better, but there's actually a lot of science that explains how this works. And it's fascinating. And there are at least two two ways that enhancing your exposure to green spaces can help you. One thing it does is it it can restore your attention. When you are experiencing chatter, all of your attention is consumed by the stuff you're worrying and ruminating about. Um, the example I like to give of that is to, you know, just, just think about a time when you tried to read a couple of pages in a book, when you were worried about something, you read the words, but you don't remember anything you've yeah. read. Like this has happened to you presumably. Oh yes. Right. Incredible. Like I pose that scenario to literally tens of thousands of people. 
inevitably all hands go up. The reason that happens is you only have so much attention that you can focus on things at any given moment in time. And so if your chatter is soaking up all that attention, it doesn't leave a whole lot over to let you do the things you want to do. What nature does, it's like a way of recharging our attention. Because when you go for a walk in, in, in a green space, a safe green space, you're surrounded by interesting things that draw your attention. You know, you look at the bushes and the flowers and the birds and, and your attention gently drifts away from the chatter onto those other things. And you're not like studying the trees and the butterflies, at least I'm not. You're just kind of taking it in. And that can be really restorative. The other thing nature can do, and um, as can certain urban sites, is give you the opportunity to experience the emotion of awe, which is this emotion we experience when we're in the presence of something vast and indescribable. Amazing sunset or, you know, like a, a tree that's been alive for hundreds of years. And what happens when we experience that emotion is it, it leads to something that we call shrinking of the self. You feel smaller when you're contemplating something vast and indescribable. When you feel smaller, so does your chatter. So those are a couple of ways you can harness your environment. I love that. Nature is so healing. It's it's really one of my go-tos. Just even 10 minutes in nature is okay. is so calming for the nervous system. And I think people that have trouble meditating or doing other practices, just get yourself out to some green space. <laughs> and and it really is. Or take your shoes off and socks off and put your feet in the grass and just feel the energy of the earth. I mean, that's it's so powerful. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, a lot of people on the show, especially in the last several years, either out of necessity or out of choice, really want to make a career shift or just a big change in their life. But there are a lot of people looking to do something differently. How can they work with the voice inside their head to help catalyze a career change? Well, you know, what I love about the tools that exist for managing chatter is that you can use them across lots of different kinds of situations. So like, you know, a career change, a career shift, this can be a, an incredibly chatter provoking time of life. We know that major life transitions in general are among the most stressful kinds of experiences that we have to deal with. And so the advice that I have is to familiarize yourself with the different tools that are out there. I talk about 26 different tools in, in my book. And, you know, I wish I could tell people, these are the three tools that you should use to manage your career shift chatter. But the truth is that there's no one size fits all solution. You know, the five tools that I use to manage my chatter, distant self-talk, temporal, you know, mental time travel, talk to my chatter advisors, go for a walk in nature, do a ritual. Like my wife relies on four very different tools. And so I think what science has done a really good job at doing is identifying individual tools. But the real challenge that we all face is now figuring out how how can we find the, the, the cocktail of tools that work best for me, given the unique situation I'm dealing with? And that's a process of self-experimentation that I would invite listeners to engage in. And, you know, try a tool. And if it works, keep doing it. And if not, try a different one and, and, and keep iterating in that process. Most of them are really simple things that they can do. Yeah. I mean, obviously the last two years have been very stressful for people and you turn on the news, you scroll through social media and it's, it's COVID and it's division and it's, it's, there's just so much that can be stressful right now in your research or just in sort of your anecdotal experience. What tools have you found to be most helpful for, for people controlling all the stressful thoughts that 
maybe we didn't have two years ago, right? There's this whole other layer of stressful thoughts that have come in. What, what are the tools that you found are most useful from the ones you've discussed? Uh, well, first of all, I completely agree. I mean, I think we're living through the chatter event of the last hundred years. Right, right. It's a time of uh, where we don't have control over things. There's uncertainty and, and that just fuels chatter. So it's a really difficult time. Let me tell you what I do for for this for myself. So I'll use a few different tools. I'll give my, you know, when I find myself going down the chatter rabbit, oh my God, like a more quarantining, kids are home from school. I'll, I'll try to zoom out, look at that bigger picture. And one thing that helps me do that is to actually go back in time and think about how does what we're going through now, which seems like it's never going to end. What happens if we look at history and what we can learn from that? And like, when I do that, I think, okay, Spanish pandemic, 1918, much, much worse. And mm. that we're dealing with lots, many more people died. No, you know, no Uber eats, no zoom and so mm-hmm. forth. And we got through it. We got back to hugging and embracing and movie watching and all the things that we're craving right now. If that doesn't take the edge off, I'll go even further back in time. I'll think of the, the bubonic plague of the middle ages that decimated Europe. And, and guess what? We got through that too. And so, so that really has been useful for me for helping put things in perspective. But when we did research on this um, with a, a large sample of, of people struggling with anxiety about COVID, what we did, what we found was that the folks who were coping best, the people who experienced the lowest levels of anxiety each day were the people who were using a cocktail of healthy tools. They weren't doing one thing. They're actually doing many different things. They were, you know, getting support from their network. They were zooming out to get perspective. They were exercising. They were being mindful. So they were doing all of those things together. The more healthy tools people use, the better they fared. And the people who were doing worse, uh, the worst, were the ones who were who were not doing nothing, but using unhealthy tools, doing things like venting or trying to avoid the situation with drugs or alcohol and so forth. And so my, my take home is try using that, you know, these tools and the more, the better. You don't have to limit yourself to one. I think we often are just looking for this one thing we can do, but I think there's a reason we evolved to have so many different tools. Yeah. Well, and I so appreciate all the research you've done and all the tools, because I think we really, when it comes to chatter, (laughs) we really do need tools because they can spin out of control. They can spiral out of control real fast. And we don't want to believe all our negative thoughts because most of the time they're not true. I, I think of that when I worry about something, I'm like, how much have I worried about that's actually come true? Not very much, (laughs) not very much. So this has been so helpful. And you have a new book out by the name Chatter. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the name of the book is Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters and How to Harness It. And it is all about the kinds of things we talked about today. You know, what is it? Why do we have this inner voice? How often do we talk to ourselves? And then importantly, when that inner voice morphs into chatter, what are the different tools science has revealed for, for managing it effectively? And where can people get a copy? Where can they connect with you? They can get a copy anywhere books are sold. And if they want links to sites or to learn more about me, the book, the research that went into it, they can visit my website, www.ethancrosswithak.com. There's a newsletter they could sign up for, um, a PDF to get to get a glimpse of some of these chatter tools and other other fun stuff. Okay. And awesome. Just in conclusion, because I really want people to take action with this because you gave a lot of tools and people can go back and they can get the book. 
But if they were to do one thing right now, the next time they notice that chatter in their head, what do you think the most powerful thing they could do is? Zoom out and try to look at that bigger picture. Mm. Give yourself advice like you'd give advice to a friend. Mm. We are really good at giving advice to other people. I know that from experience. (laughs) So often I'll be coaching someone and I'll be like, hmm, I should really listen to myself. That's some good advice. So I love that tip. Thank you so much, Ethan, for being here today. I really appreciate your work, your wisdom, and all the tools you shared with us. Thanks for having me. It was a delight. 